chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses three or six through eight. First Timothy chapter six, verses six through eight. Let's all stand together. You read along silently as I read aloud. Verse six says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment." Let us be therewith content. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we ask as we get ready to take a look at your word this, this evening, we pray that you would calm our hearts and focus our hearts and minds on the word of God. I'm so thankful that you are a God and that you, you care for us, you love us. Uh, Father, looking over the years, you've taken care of us as individuals, you've taken care of our families, You've taken care of this church, and uh, Lord, we're, we're so thankful for that. That should give us great confidence in our God. And uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, just speak to our hearts this evening about, about the, the importance of contentment, and that uh, we should be content no matter whether we're up, whether we're down, whether we're sideways or inside out. Uh, Lord, the truth of the matter is, uh, you, because you are our God and because you are there with us, we need to have a contented heart. We pray that you would help us as we take a look at your word and see what the Bible says about that subject tonight and speak to our hearts. And we pray that as you do, that we'll respond to you for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's good to be godly, but it's, it's better to be godly with contentment. And the, the reason why contentment is so important is because of the, because of the sins that uh, can come through being discontent. When a person's get discontent, they complain. When a person's discontent, they worry. They, they, uh, they covet and uh, envy creeps up and jealousy creeps up. Uh, but on the, on the other side of the coin, contentment is a source of great joy. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 12. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. It says that now at the, the last, your care of me having flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And of course, what Paul is saying is that his situation constantly shifted, was constantly fluctuating. And in spite of that, he's learned to be content. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And uh, uh, the, the, um, 
areas where we need to learn to be content is in the areas of, of our possessions, our position, and providence. Providence just means the circumstances that God has, uh, uh, has put us into. And we, we need to constantly realize that uh, faith equals contentment. One of the things I see throughout Scripture is that uh, the more faith that people have, the more content they are. The less faith people have, the less content they are. Uh, contentment indicates a trusting heart toward God. And you look at the, at the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness, and you can, you can see that so clearly. When Israel was wandering in the wilderness before they went into the promised land, they had, they had uh, time after time where they came across problems and difficulties and troubles and rather than trust God, I mean, really, just as far as I can, I can see and looking at it, every time they came across a problem, they began to complain, they began to murmur, they began to gripe. And the reason why that was the case was because their faith was small. The greater our faith is, the greater our contentment will be. The less our faith is, the less our contentment will be. Contented people are people that, that have faith and trust in God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. And this is the verse, the, the verse that we're going to kind of hone in on tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. And of course, Hebrews 11 is the, considered the faith chapter of the Bible. <clears throat> and it gives example after example after example of people that, that had faith in God and how they exercised their faith. Well, if you look with me in, in verse 6, he says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him says that, that uh, uh, there's two things that we, that we have to believe when it comes to faith and it comes to God. We have to believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that, that uh, seek Him. Uh, we have to have strong faith in the person of God and we have to have strong faith in the promises of God. If you've got faith in those two things, you'll find that you'll have contentment in whatever situation that God puts you in. Let's take a look first at the, at the person of God. If we have, if we have faith in, in God's character and we understand who He is and how He operates and that He can be trusted, we'll be content. Now, there's, there's four attributes that God has that I want to take a look at tonight. That where we, we, if we'll believe in these attributes, if we have faith in these attributes in, that God has, we'll be contented people. First is His sovereignty. Take your Bibles and turn to two places. Go to Ephesians 6, Colossians 1. Ephesians chapter 6. Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 1. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4 
and Colossians 1. Verse 6 is what we want to look at. Chapter 4, and look down at verse 6. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 6 says that there's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. In other words, he is, he is really everything. You go over to Colossians chapter 1, look in verses 16 and 17. It says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Sovereignty just simply means that he is over all and he's control, he has control over all. He has a right to do what he pleases with us. He has a right to do what he pleases to us. And if God is sovereign, then he has a right to allow things to enter into our lives that please him. Just because it pleases him doesn't mean that it always is going to please us but it's always going to be for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, what pleases God is not always what we desire. What pleases God is not always what we want. Let me just give you some examples tonight. Uh, could God, could God be, be pleased with giving you conflicts at work? Could God be giving you, could God be pleased with giving you conflicts, allowing conflicts to happen in your home, to allow conflicts to happen, uh, just generally speaking, in your life? And, and the answer to that is, yes, he could be pleased because he could work through those conflicts and get honor and glory. Could God be pleased with a brain tumor? This is the kind of stuff we don't like to think about. But could God be pleased with a brain tumor? I know of a fella, back years ago, he was an evangelist, and uh, he was being mightily used of God. I mean, greatly used of the Lord. And, and they found out he had a brain tumor. And, you know, I, I, uh, I heard the very last message that he preached. It was probably one of the most powerful messages that he has ever preached. And uh, it, it, it just had to, do, it had to do with the fear of man, and it was an excellent, excellent message. Now, could, have, could God have healed that, that evangelist? Yes, he could have, but he didn't. And evidently, he didn't because he got more glory out of taking him than he would have gotten by, by leaving him. Now, I'm not suggesting there was sin in the man's life or anything like that. As far as I know, there wasn't. But God is sovereign. And, uh, you know, the, the, the amazing thing to me is I, as I was looking at that individual, he never had any bitterness in his heart, never had any animosity in his heart toward God. Could God be pleased with uh, crippling someone, allowing somebody to be crippled, and then call them into evangelism? Well, we had an evangelist here, it was before my time, but this church had an evangelist by the name of Rex Harrison, and he was crippled. Uh, was God pleased with that? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And, and the, you know, uh, could God be pleased uh, by, 
by tragedy coming into your life, and I'm not, please don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that God is, is, a, is a, uh, a sadistic, a masochistic God that likes to bring problems into our lives. But if he can get honor and he can get glory, he'll allow those things to come. And the, the bottom line is this. If he is sovereign, and he is, and if he can do what pleases him, then what our attitude ought to be is, is that if it pleases him, it should please us. If, if we believe he's sovereign, then we'll surrender our rights to him. And, and he's going to do what he's going to do. We need to be pleased with it. The, the second thing that, about God's character is, is how, he's omniscient. Omniscient just simply means that he knows everything. Um, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28 says, There is no searching of his understanding. Uh, in, in other words, you can't, you can't know everything about how God thinks or why God does all of the things that he does. But you need to just simply trust it because he's God. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a passage of Scripture that is used, and rightfully so, <clears throat> as an anti-abortion passage, and it is a, an anti-abortion passage, but it also shows you just that God knows everything, and He knows everything even before you're created. In Psalm 139, verse 13, says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and, and uh, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. In other words, God made you the way that you are, you were designed, and you were designed with a purpose, and he knew what you would encounter in life. And so he gave you the, the gifts, he gave you the talents, and he gave you the abilities to be able to handle those things because he's omniscient. He, he always knows what's best for us. You know, uh, uh, Romans 8.28 says, For all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. And in other words, he allows those things to come into our lives because he knows that good will come to it and, and he'll be honored and he'll be glorified. Uh, he, knows, you know, he knows the end from the beginning and, and we don't. The bottom line is God always knows what is best for you and what is best for me because of his omniscience. Another, another character of God that we need to trust and have faith in is, is his omnipresence. Now, look with me in the same, same chapter, uh, Psalm 139. Look in verses 5, down 5 through 10. Verse 5 says, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. 
whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Uh, now that has to do with the with the uh, with the on the presence of God. The fact that He is He is everywhere, and with a Christian, He's always with us. Uh, it says that He besets us. Besets means to surround. Uh, you can't escape God, and even even the psalmist, even David, knew that that no matter where he went, that God would be with him. Take your Bibles and turn with me. Back again to the book of uh, Hebrews in your, in your New Testament, book of Hebrews, and Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And this is something that ought to give us great confidence. And not only confidence, but great contentment. Hebrews chapter 13, and look down in verse 5 with me, if you would. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. thing that, that really ought to bring us great contentment is knowing that God is with us. He said that he would never leave us, and he said that he would... He would never forsake us. His, his presence uh, is, is continual. Uh, bad conditions are always more tolerable when you know you have a friend. Uh, there, there have been times when I have gone through in my life just some difficult times. Uh, God has always brought somebody alongside. Usually it's my wife. Sometimes it's other people that uh, have been a blessing and help. And knowing that you have a friend by your side all the time is, a, is, is a something that creates real contentment in your heart. Well, the Bible says that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is always with you if you're saved. In the book of, of Daniel, you're familiar with the, with the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they... they uh, uh, we're told that they needed to bend down and bow to an idol whenever music was played. And they said, we won't bend and we won't bow. We worship God and we worship God alone. And the king said, well, if you don't do that, then we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And their answer was, well, uh, if you do, our God's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bend and we're not going to bow. Well, what did they know? They knew that God was with them. And they knew that they were doing the thing that was right. Now, were they under a tremendous stressful situation? Yeah, to say the least, they were. But you know what I don't find? I don't find any anxiety there. I don't find any discontent there. I don't find any, any uh, animosity in those three Hebrew children's lives because God had allowed them to come to that circumstance in their life. Instead, there was really a, a real, a real a situation of contentment in their hearts. And the Bible says that when they, when they were put into the furnace, in fact, the, the scripture says, 
Uh, he answered and said, Lo, this is the, the king looking into the furnace. Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You know who was in there with them? Jesus was with them. And, you know, we read that story and we say, well, God delivered them. Well, the truth of the matter is, if you're saved, God's made a promise and he said that he would never leave you and he would never forsake you. That means he's always with you. And that, that knowledge and that sense of his continual presence ought to give us contentment. There's, a, there's another thing that we need to have faith in, and that's his, his omnipotence. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Go to Philippians 4. And in Philippians 4, look with me in verses 11 through 13. Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. Apostle Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, God's all-powerful. And Paul knew that because God was all-powerful, that he would give him the strength and he would give him the grace and he would give him the provision to be able to get through. Uh, you know, what, what made God, Paul's uh, content, made Paul content in, uh, in every circumstance? He knew that his power would sustain him. He went through jail. He went through beating. He went through shipwreck. He went through desertion. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, though, as you, as you read about those situations in Paul's life, you read the epistles that Paul reads or, or writes, to the, uh, writes to the churches, you don't ever find Paul showing any kind of discontent. You know why? Because he really believed his God could take him through, and his God was powerful enough to get him through the situation. If God put him in the situation, then God would empower him to get through it. And God will do the same thing for you and for me. But we need to believe in his person. We need to believe that he is and that he can do all of those things. We need to have a trust in his character. And as you trust the character of God, you'll get contentment. There's another thing that brings contentment. Not only that he is, but that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that has to do with the promises of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter that, that we've been given exceeding great and precious promises. And there's, there's two things in particular that uh, God pro promised that he would provide to us. In, in Philippians chapter 4, if you look with me down in verse 19... Verse 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now understand, he is not talking to disobedient Christians. He's talking to obedient Christians. He's talking to people that have taken care of others, have been good stewards of what they have been given. And, and God says, you know, you have expended yourself on others. And because... You have been obedient in that area. He says, my God shall supply all your need 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He said all of their needs, all of their needs. And the promise is according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I, you, can't, you can't get a better backing to a promise than that. Uh, God says, listen, uh, I will take care of you and I will take care of you according to the riches that I have. You know, the, the, that, that promise of taking care of our needs is backed by the bank of heaven. And you can't have a better backing than that. And then the second thing that God promised is that uh, not only that, that he would, he would uh, provide our needs and take care of us. And again, <laughs> I, I look back on my life and I've seen time after time after time after time. God has provided for me. God has provided for others. I've watched him provide for, for families right within this church. And, and take care of our needs and, and, and take care of us. Then the second thing, and this is equally important, and when you understand this, it really get, brings you great contentment. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul saw a vision and God took him up into the third heaven. I believe he did that when he was stoned outside of, I believe it was Lystra. And um, um, he gave him a little glimpse of, of what heaven was like, and then he put him down back into his body. And um, after that, Paul says, you know, I, I've seen things that, that I can't explain to others, that I can't utter. And, uh, but he also realized that, that he had a tendency to pride. And so he said, he said that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Look in verse 7. It says, unless I should be exalted above measure, and this is just after he talks about the vision, it says, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said to, unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now the answer he got, essentially, was no, I'm not going to remove the thorn. What I am going to do is I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you my resources in order to handle it. Sometimes God removes difficulties in our lives. Uh, sometimes through promises, through the promises of God, he, he uh, takes care of things that are lacking in our lives. But other times, he allows the situations to continue, but then there is a promise of grace. And he says, listen, it's going to continue, but I'm going to give you the strength and I'm going to give you the resources to make it, make it through the problem. And in, in verse 9, that was his answer. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, he said, no, I won't remove the thorn, but I will give you grace. Notice what Paul's uh, response was. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure 
in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm, am I strong. What does that sound like? Does that sound like discontentment or does that sound like contentment? Well, that's contentment. It's contentment. Why? Because he understood that God would give him the grace to get him through. And that, his, that God's strength was perfected uh, through Paul's weakness. He says, listen, I'm weak so that God can be strong. And, and he understood that he would provide all the grace that he needed to get him through. When, when, you, when you focus on the grace of God and you focus on the strength that God gives you through difficult times, then those difficult times don't cause bitterness. Those difficult times don't cause complaining. Those difficult times don't cause an angry spirit. What they cause is contentment. And that's why Paul, Paul made the, 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 the statement in verse 9, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity. He, he, that's, that's not a sad Christian, that's a happy Christian. Now, where's the thorn? The thorn is still there. The thorn's not been removed. But he had a heart of contentment in spite of the thorn. Why? Because God had given him the grace to handle it. And he appropriated that grace. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to, to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. If you would, Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, I want you to look down in verse 15. And after verse 15, he talks about Esau. Esau was a man who, because he sold his birthright and because he disdained the, the blessings of God in his life, uh, he, he, uh, he, he went through some problems and he went through some difficulties and he went through some trouble. And uh, uh, his brother, uh, stole the blessing of his father from him. And uh, Esau, when you think of Esau, you think of a very, very bitter man. You think of a very angry man. He wanted to kill his brother after what was all done. Uh, were, those, were those situations pleasant? No, they weren't. But notice what the Bible says that, that happened and what caused the bitterness to come. Verse 15 and God's telling all of us to do this, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness doesn't come from contentment. Bitterness comes from being discontent. And the, 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 the bitterness comes because a person failed of the grace of God. That doesn't mean, with a, with a saved person, that doesn't mean that they've, they've lost their salvation. doesn't mean that at all. It means God gave them the strength to go through the situation, and they did not accept it. They did not, they did not see it. They did not uh, recognize the fact that that grace was there. And he always provides all the grace that you need. God will give you that grace. And that's a promise. He promises to provide our needs, and he promises to give us the grace that we need. 
Now, the scripture says that, that we, when we come to God, we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Those two things are integrally connected to contentment because they're integrally connected to faith. Uh, when it comes to faith, we've got to believe that God is who he says he is and that, that he understands our situations and he'll provide for us what we need. He'll provide for us what will give him glory and will give him honor. And he'll always do things that are consistent with his character. And then secondly, we need, to, we need to realize that the promises of God are true. And in particularly in two areas, he'll always give us what we need. And secondly, he'll always give us his grace and his grace will always be, be sufficient. Contentment comes from knowing who God is and what he has promised to do and believing that he'll do it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for being our God, and we thank you that we can come to you absolutely confident in who you are and what your character is. You've told us that in you is, is no variableness. That means you don't change. In you there is no, there's no shadow of turning. Uh, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, in this world that's constantly changing and in the turmoil that we find in our, even in our society today, what a blessing it is to know that we can throw ourselves at the mercy of a God who changes not and whose character is consistent. You're con consistent in your person and you're consistent in your promises and when we have faith in those two things, we'll have great contentment. The reason why we complain, the reason why we gripe, the reason why we, we find ourselves with discontent and envy and jealousy and all that other kind of junk is simply because, Lord, we have allowed our faith to diminish and we just don't trust you like we should. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts this evening. And Lord, there might be someone here tonight who does not have a, a faith or a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is Resurrection Sunday. And we are celebrating the, the, the death, the burial, and then the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, a, we have a God who has power over sin and power over death and power over the grave and power over hell and showed that through, through your resurrection. Father, there might be someone here that's never trusted you as Savior, never, never came to you realizing they're a sinner without, without hope and on their way to hell. And the only way they can go to heaven is by putting all their faith and all their trust in you and you alone. God, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would trust you and you alone as Savior. I pray, Father, for those that, that uh, might be here tonight that are, that are uh, struggling with some areas in their own personal lives of, of being discontent. It's, it's easy to get there. I've been there too many times. And when, when we, we find ourselves in that situation, it's because we, our faith has dropped in the person of God and our faith has dropped in the promises of God. 
Lord, uh, I pray that tonight that faith will get renewed in the hearts of folks that might be struggling, might be having some issues, that you'd make it plain to them that they have a God whom they can trust and they can depend upon. Bless this invitation. Please have your will and your way in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 